Hello and welcome to the SCTS Education Podcast. I'm Caroline Toulon, one of the cardiothoracic trainees up in the Northwest Deanery. Uh, so today's episode is going to be all about cardioplegia, which is certainly a topic that has got me confused from time to time. I'm working on the principle that if I've been confused, probably a few other people have as well. I thought it was a good one to cover. Uh, so in today's episode, we have the fantastic Dr. David Chambers from the Rain Institute in King's College, London, joining us to talk all about this subject. Uh, Dr. Chambers has done huge amounts of research on cardioplegia, uh, and if you put his name into PubMed, you'll get a lot of papers up. In this episode, we touch on things such as polarised and depolarised arrest, as well as intracellular and extracellular cardioplegia. And we also talk about um, potassium cardioplegia versus other types of cardioplegia and what the various benefits of them might be. So I certainly hope you find it very useful. I know I have. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, joining me today is Dr. David Chambers, who is a consultant clinical scientist who specialises in um, cardioplegia solutions and biochemistry of the heart. Uh, and we're going to talk all things cardioplegia today. So I'm going to try and clear up any misconceptions about cardioplegia and also hopefully will extend your knowledge of cardioplegia as well and make you very enthusiastic about the subject. <laughs> um, so first things first, describe what an ideal cardioplegia solution might look like. Well, that's quite a difficult question. Um, personally, I think that Potassium is not an ideal agent to arrest the heart. This is from my recent studies, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll get onto that later, but mm -hmm. uh, I believe that polarized arrest rather than depolarized arrest mm -hmm. is the best concept for myocardial protection. Mm -hmm. And the positive thing about polarized arrest, I think, being that you can completely block some of the activity of ion channels which otherwise don't completely block when you're using potassium-based cardioplegias, which are depolarized. Potassium influences the membrane potential mm -hmm. because if you change the potassium concentra concentration extracellularly, mm -hmm. you will, you, there's a sort of a curve. So at, minor, at four millimole of extracellular potassium, and remember that the intracellular potassium is around 140 millimolar. Mm -hmm. So at 4 millimolar, it gives you your minus 85 millivolts. Mm -hmm. And as you increase the extracellular potassium mm -hmm. concentration, you change the membrane potential appropriately. Mm -hmm. So around uh, 10 millimolar uh, potassium, mm -hmm. you'll reach the inactivation potential of the sodium channel, mm -hmm. and that will cause arrest. Mm -hmm. At around uh, minus uh, around 30 millimolar potassium, you reach around uh, mm -hmm. minus 30, minus 40 millivolts, mm -hmm. which is the activation potential of the calcium channel. Mm -hmm. So then you'll start getting calcium influx into the cell. Mm -hmm. Calcium influx is bad news. Mm -hmm. With St. Thomas's solution, for example, we have a, a potassium uh, concentration of 16 millimolar and that pretty much sits in the middle of that 10 millimolar to 30 millimolar concentration mm -hmm. and in the middle of that little window of protection. Mm. So that sits in the window between the two 
sort of activate well inactivation of the sodium channels and activation of the calcium channels yeah. which will mean no major iron shifts across the membrane which then subsequently means no action potential essentially but what it doesn't stop is the smaller ionic gradients that keep going in the background okay so should we go through what constitutes an action potential in the heart and the sort of sequence of ionic transfers that we can potentially uh, intervene with so we can produce any sort of potential plegic effect. So there are essentially three uh, ionic channels in the heart that mm -hmm. could be used to arrest the heart. Mm -hmm. There's the sodium channel, mm -hmm. there's the calcium channel, mm -hmm. the L-type calcium channel, mm -hmm. uh, and these of, can obviously be um, inhibited by calcium channel blockers mm -hmm. like um, diltiazam or something like that mm -hmm. and there's potassium channels which uh, you can open which will, which will cause make the membrane potential down towards the potassium equilibration uh, potential mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so ideally for a, the best cardioplegic solution mm -hmm. you want to target all those channels so you cover all your aspects of arresting the heart ah okay yes. so you can use uh, sodium channel blockers, mm -hmm. like, for example, tetrodotoxin, but that would be mm -hmm. very bad news for the patient. Mm -hmm. Although they do wear off, and you can if you keep patients uh, respirated. Okay. Uh, you can use calcium channel blockers to prevent the uh, calcium movement within the cell, mm -hmm. and you can use potassium channel openers. Uh, KUTP dependent potassium channel openers like apricalium or uh, pinacidil for example. Mm -hmm. So these have all been tried mm -hmm. but of course they all have their problems Yes. and um, some of them are quite long lasting right. which has toxic effects so there is a solution out there called adenocaine which uses lidocaine and adenosine. Right. Adenosine is a potassium channel opener Lidocaine is a sodium channel blocker, mm -hmm. but lidocaine has a half-life of around two hours, mm -hmm. so and you need high concentrations of it to arrest the heart. Right. So you then wash that out into the systemic circulation, and that will cause potential toxic problems right. systemically. Yeah. So you okay. want to try and avoid something that has a long half-life. That aging, influences yeah. your reversibility, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. So we originally explored the concept of polarized arrest mm -hmm. by using. TTX, tetrodotoxin. Oh yes, where is that from? From a puffer fish, so, which is a, is a delicacy in Japan. Mm. And uh, the chefs have to be very precise in how much they take out of it and mm -hmm. leave a bit that gives it this sort of tingly feeling in the mouth. Ah. But inevitably uh, there are some deaths every year because um, mm. they don't take out enough. Ah, and people but are getting the cardioplegic effects of the, <laughs> of the puffer fish. <laughs> Well, it's more of a respiratory inhibition. Right, okay. uh, tetrodotoxin is a very, very potent sodium channel blocker. Mm -hmm. And so it will, it will prevent the um, upstroke of the action potential, the mm -hmm. sodium, uh, the voltage dependent upstroke of the action potential mm -hmm. by blocking the sodium channel. Mm -hmm. Our initial studies were in long-term preservation. Right. So we wanted to look, explore the concept in in 
basically heart transplantation mm. scenarios because obviously we knew that you couldn't use tetrodotoxin in a conventional uh, heart bypass situation mm. whereas you could in a heart that you'd taken out of someone and you could then wash it out it washes out very easily right but it's very toxic why does it wash out easily but is it what makes the difference between something that does wash out easily and doesn't wash out easily it doesn't bind right to the uh to to the channel it Mm -hmm. just sits in the channel and Mm -hmm. blocks it then you can wash it out again so as I say, we, we explored tetrodotoxin mm-hmm. as, a, as the concept of polarised arrest. Mm-hmm. And in those studies, we looked at measuring the membrane potential mm-hmm. using microelectrodes inserted into the heart while it was arrested. Mm-hmm. This is in rat hearts. Mm-hmm. And we designed a special equipment whereby we could lie the heart on its side on a mesh and a microelectrode that went through the, the heart chamber mm-hmm. into the into the myocardium mm. so that we could measure the membrane potential of hearts that we could then reperfuse and measure the function of mm. so um, that showed basically that if you arrest with 16 millimolar potassium mm-hmm. you get a depolarized arrest at around minus 50 millivolts mm-hmm. membrane potential and if you arrest with tetrodotoxin you get an arrest at around minus 70 millivolts. So the heart, when, the, when, when potassium arrests the heart, it goes above the level of activation of the sodium channel. And so it stops, the membrane potential is, is equ- equilibrated at minus 50, mm-hmm. where, whereas inactivation is at minus 65. So you've got to the stage where essentially you're not producing any uh, of that sudden uh, switch in so in sodium, which will depolarize, which will depolarize the membrane essentially. So your sodium channels are no longer active. So you're not going to get the sodium moving across the membrane to That's result right. in because, an action. Because potential. the sodium channels are voltage dependent, mm-hmm. so you have to have this voltage change mm. to, to keep them active. Mm-hmm. So you arrest the heart with potassium at a level which goes above the uh, minus 65 millivolts. Mm-hmm. And that then inactivates the sodium channel, so mm-hmm. they can't be then activated. Yes, so they're basically I mean. sleeping. Yes. I think of them as, as sleeping at that stage. Whereas with, with tetrodotoxin, you keep that level below the threshold, mm-hmm. and so again, they're not activated. Yes, like. yeah. So, but the thing about uh, depolarizing is that there are still um, sodium window currents mm. uh, that are still active so sodium still enters the cell mm-hmm. because of that the heart tries to re-equilibrate the ionic mm. um, milieu mm-hmm. and this is an ATP dependent effect mm-hmm. and so you're using up ATP mm-hmm. while you're while the heart is trying to re-equilibrate the ionic mm-hmm. environment and but with, because you, if you arrest it below that threshold, mm-hmm. there's no need for it to do that because there's no sodium influx into the cell. Yeah. So if you're, so if you're stopping literally any sodium from moving anywhere, which is what you can do when you've got minus 70 millivolts or even more, de- more polarised than that, if you like, um, then essentially nothing is really moving across the cell. 
um, apart from maybe a bit of potassium just because it always there is does. a bit of potassium yes just just because it always does i That's tend to right, think yes. of potassium as the background hum of the cell membrane yeah. <laughs> well because potassium is released into the extracellular environment mm. as a uh, consequence of stopping the heart and ischemia mm -hmm. and so you're always going to get a build-up of potassium mm -hmm. extracellularly which will mm -hmm. modify the membrane potential mm -hmm. so potassium openers yep. Uh, yep. would in theory arrest the heart at the potassium equilibr equilibration yep. potential which is about minus 90 millivolts yep. so that would be a hyperpolarization yes. from the normal resting membrane potential of the, mm -hmm. the myocardial cell which is about yep. minus 85 millivolt mm -hmm. but actually that doesn't happen all right okay and and that doesn't happen because you actually have some other currents which are constantly correcting it, whether you like it or not. Exactly. <laughs> so even if you use potassium channel openers that are going to just keep the channels open and therefore make your membrane potential even more negative than it should be, they still do, it still doesn't work because actually the cell is saying, no, 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 this isn't where we want to be and is continually correcting back to the resting membrane potential basically which is somewhere around minus 85 millivolts yes roughly okay so, so this is why when we've used our the, the solution that we have developed yeah and we actually I'm just uh, arranging a clinical trial at the moment oh, fantastic is <coughs> esmolol adenosine and magnesium Right, okay. So tell us about it. <laughs> well, esmolol is an interesting uh, molecule because it is a ultra short acting beta blocker, cardiac specific beta blocker, which is used regularly in cardiac operations. You mm. must have used it yourself. But at high concentrations, unlike normal beta blockers, it arrests the heart. Right. So at one millimolar, it, it will arrest the heart. The thing about Esmolol is that it is as a short half-life of around nine minutes. Mm -hmm. It's inactivated by esterases within the blood. Mm -hmm. So it won't be toxic systemically because it won't be there for very long. Okay. Uh, adenosine, as you know, is also um, very short-lived. Mm -hmm. But adenosine is a potassium channel opener. Mm -hmm. And then magnesium is a sort of natural calcium channel blocker. Mm -hmm. So with those three compounds, we're targeting three channels mm. that could be used to arrest the heart. Mm. And the thing about esmolol also is we did some, we didn't really know how it worked. We knew it did work, yeah. but we didn't know how it worked. So a PhD student of mine, Hazen Falou, uh, showed that it works by simultaneously blocking the calcium channels, the L-type calcium channels, mm -hmm. and the sodium channels. Right. So these three compounds target the sodium channels, the calcium channels, and the potassium channels. So you've basically, you've got the triad there, you've got the full, the hat trick of cardioplegia yeah. solutions. And I think also the important thing to separate those from maybe the potassium solutions is pointing out that those seem to work much more as blocking agents whereas potassium or hyperkalemic solutions seem to work more on membrane potential so affecting 
the level at which a channel will open or close rather than a physical blockage or a physical blockade of a channel whereas what you're describing is much more of a of a channel blocker a reversible channel blocker rather than a, a change to channel the blocker uh, or channel opener, opener or yeah. channel opener rather but than it does yeah. influence the membrane potential ah. because if it's a sodium channel mm -hmm. blocker as we showed with tetrodotoxin mm -hmm. it will induce a polarized membrane potential yes what is depolarized arrest and what is polarized arrest? Um, because I think those are two terms which sometimes um, get confusing. So depolarized arrest is the movement of the of the resting membrane potential mm -hmm. from the normal level of around minus eighty five millivolts mm -hmm. to a more positive level. In mm -hmm. other words, it's less negative. Mm -hmm. So when the action potential uh, kicks off goes from minus 85 to about plus 20 mm. so that is a depolarizing effect mm -hmm. so potassium depolarizes the cell to around a level of uh, 50 millivolts from or minus 50 millivolts mm -hmm. from minus 85 millivolts that's a depolarization mm -hmm. now you could argue I suppose that uh, esmolol mm -hmm. which moves it from minus 85 to minus 70 is also a depolarizing mm -hmm. effect, but it's less depolarizing and therefore, but it's not hyperpolarizing. Mm, okay. So that's why I sort of termed it polarizing. Yes. It's not really polarizing in, in it's, it's, if you see what I yeah, mean. It's, it's a really, sort of a, yeah. it's a terminology it, which um, might be a bit confusing, but. Well, I, I, it's really interesting. I think it is interesting terminology not so much the polarizing but i find the depolarizing arrest interesting because in my mind or, or depolarized arrest thinking well if it's depolarized arrest surely that means it's zero because that means no polarity and it's depolarized and of course depolarized arrest isn't zero it's around minus 50 millivolts it's actually not zero at all it's yeah. it's a that's it and <laughs> and i had to think ah oh, that was a preconception i had which was wrong so actually depolarized arrest is still a bit polarized but not as polarized as polarized arrest <laughs> so therefore polarized arrest is when it's basically much closer to the resting membrane potential and in the esmolol exactly. solution you're describing it's closer to it's actually a, li a little bit less it's maybe minus 70 or so but there are some solutions i think which hyperpolarize as you say um and make it enough is that sort of where brett schneider and things come in well you see, Brett Schneider is an interesting, interesting solution. Mm -hmm. Brett Schneider solution, HDK solution, mm -hmm. custodial, mm. are all the same things. Yeah, now that's really useful information, right? <laughs> because I think it's one of these, these names are kind of thrown around and we don't use them that frequently when we're in theatre. Mm. So yeah, so all those things are essentially the same thing. Are they the same as Del Nido cardioplegia? No, they're not. Right, we pick those so, apart then. <laughs> so, let's say Brett Schneider solution mm -hmm. was the original solution that was developed by Brett Schneider yeah. in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, at a time when uh, the original cardioplegic solution, the Melrose solution, mm -hmm. was being uh, abandoned right. uh, during cardiac surgery because it used high concentrations of potassium citrate yeah. and that caused. Uh, necrosis problems uh, and mm -hmm. patient deaths. Yeah, so and they when we say using it. high doses, so compared to the sort of St. Thomas's, which is t which is sixteen millimoles, so around seventy to eighty millimolar potassium citrate, yeah. which and that was causing myocardial necrosis and yeah. just bad things happening to Very cells. Bad. 
and yes. people in general. People. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty much abandoned. And then in the US and the UK, we went to ischemic arrest, if mm. you like, or yeah. and, hy and hypothermia. Mm -hmm. But in Germany, Brecht Schneider was developing this solution, which was an intracellular type solution. Mm. So what's the difference between intracellular and extracellular? Sorry, I'll just... <laughs> so, so an extracellular type solution has the characteristics of like blood plasma, for example. Mm -hmm. So it has uh, normal levels of, cal of calcium, around 1.2 millimolar mm -hmm. ionic calcium. It has high levels of sodium, mm -hmm. relatively low levels of potassium. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas intracellular mm -hmm. is pretty much the opposite. So it has very low concentrations of, of mm. calcium, uh, high levels of potassium, and yep. relatively low levels of sodium. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So it's not about where it's acting, it's about what it represents, or what iron compounds it most is most similar to. So actually, the intracellular rep is, is the iron compounds that make it up are similar to the intracellular fluid, whereas extracellular is the iron compounds that make it up is similar to extracellular fluid and it is that simple that's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. rather than it having to work in different bits of the cell and yeah that, that's okay that's great so because brett schneider solution mm -hmm. has uh, low levels of sodium mm -hmm. extracellularly mm -hmm. and almost zero calcium mm -hmm. extracellularly mm -hmm. uh, then it will stop the heart because the sodium channel isn't actually activated because there's no sodium there to activate. The thing about Brechtschneider solution though is that it has a relatively high concentration of potassium so it has 10 millimole potassium mm -hmm. so you will still get the sort of depolarizing de effect. effect yes. Interesting okay so you're stopping sodium transport because there's not any sodium around to transport. You have to have with with Brechtschneider solution you have, have to have a combination of the uh, the low sodium and the almost zero uh, calcium to prevent the calcium paradox. Right. And this is why you can't use Brechtschneider solution mm -hmm. as a blood-based solution. Right. It has to be crystalloid because obviously you add in yeah, calcium. The, all the yeah. extracellular components in blood. Yeah. So you, you can't combine ah. the two. So any intracellular cardioplegia has to be used as a fluid on its own. Exactly. What about Del Nido? Where does Del Nido fit in? <laughs> so Del Nido is a solution that's been recently developed or was originally developed for children. When you look at the components, I can't really see why it acts in the way it's supposed to act mm -hmm. because it has a high potassium concentration mm -hmm. of around 25 millimolar. So a bit higher than St. Thomas's. A bit higher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has nothing really in there that suggests it ought to arrest for long periods. Mm. So it's a bit of a mystery mm. to me, mm. I have to say. It's mm. made up in a, it's made up in a, um, what's it made up in? Plasma light, I think right, it is. Right, okay. So it's more of a kind of, extracellular component is it does it, it has it the, the thing it? it does have and which mm. everyone says it is going to make the difference is lidocaine right okay so lidocaine as i've said before is mm. a sodium so channel blocker yeah but it hasn't got very high levels of lidocaine and mm. the fact that it's got very high potassium mm. means that the 
effect of lidocaine on the membrane mm. potential is going to be very minimal. Right, okay. So I can't really understand how it works to as a, as a sort of long-acting solution. I see, yeah, because that's one of the things, that the purpose of it is that it yeah. acts over a long time, so you can yeah. get complex surgeries done in, in yeah. Okay, oh, well, that's interesting. So with, with mm. Brechtonider solution, you have to give in very high volumes right. to uh, re-equilibrate the extracellular milieu of the heart ah. to an intracellular yeah. concentration. Mm. And because it stays there, because you give such high volumes, it stays for quite a long time. Mm. But my understanding of Del Nido is that you just give it the same as, oh, as so sort of conventional cardioplegia. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. so yeah. why it maintains a rest for 90 minutes, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Oh, I've never used it, yeah. so I don't really know. So with the Esmolol solutions that you've been um, experimenting with and you're about to start some trials with, is that how often do you need to give that? So that's a, a multi-dose solution. Uh -huh. So I think we need to give it, well, I say this, we mm -hmm. haven't really tested it as yeah. well, how long it lasts, but theoretically it might not last very well because it has a, has a short, short half life. So well, we've, so yeah. we've shown basically that in, in cold solutions it'll last for say half an hour. Mm -hmm. and then I think you really need to reinfuse. Yes. Uh, but we haven't sort of pushed it out to mm -hmm. longer than that. Okay. So moving on from that stage, when you're going into the sort of testing phases, so how do you know, how can you compare one cardioplegia solution with the other? Because we've already talked about maybe hyperkalemic arrest may not be the answer to everything. It's the one we most commonly use, but at the, at the moment, and it works very well, you know, clinically, but there may be something, doesn't mean there's not something better. And that's what we're looking for. And that's what you're exploring and investigating. So how do we measure if it's better or not? Is, it is there a clinical outcome we can look at or is this a biochemical outcome? What sort of things do, do, should we be looking for? Well, on an experimental basis, mm -hmm. what we've done is we've looked at, say, high energy phosphate levels mm -hmm. uh, and we can see that in line with expectations, we get higher levels of ATP and creatine phosphate mm. at the end of ischemia than mm -hmm. we do with potassium arrest. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because if you didn't, that would suggest it was being used up by the cell desperately trying to re-equilibrate itself. So that process would be lots of ion channels working busily to try and get the membrane potential back to normal resting potential. So the fact that you've got all these high energy phosphates still hanging around is a good thing. It suggests they're not being used up. It suggests the cell is fairly inactive and not ischemic. Correct. Yes. Well, it's ischemic. It's, <laughs> it's ischemic, ischemic, yeah, yeah. But not suffering so much because yes, it's ischemia. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's one of the ways. Obviously, we can look at function at the end ah, of yes. at the end of the uh, ischemic period and uh, during reperfusion, mm -hmm. and in you know rat hearts, for example, or even pig's heart, pig hearts, which is what we've done, we can see better function mm -hmm. after two or three hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's another way of showing it. But obviously, in the experiments, what we're doing is we're imposing an ischemic injury mm. such that we're likely to be able to see this difference. Mm. Obviously, we can't do that in patients. Mm. So patients become a big problem in yeah. terms of comparing different cardioplegic solutions. You either need 
yeah. hundreds or thousands of patients mm. to compare, or you need a patient group which are likely to uh, have poor outcomes mm. and therefore better myocardial preservation might show a difference. Yes. But you're still going to need yeah. a, a good number of patients. Good number of patients. Which is a positive reflection on cardiac surgery. I have to say, it's good that you need a lot of patients because we want to make sure that, you know, we want lots of people but to that survive. that of course makes yeah. clinical trial very difficult yes. because it's very yeah. expensive to look yeah. at very, you know, yeah. large numbers of patients. So if you have, if you have a, a patient group where you might not expect them to recover that well, mm -hmm. you know, there could be problems mm -hmm. that might show you uh, where your differences occur. Mm -hmm. So for example, we did a study where we compared crystalloid St. Thomas's solution mm -hmm. to blood-based St. Thomas's solution. This mm -hmm. is in, I think this was published in 1999. Mm -hmm. I think we did 25 patients in each group and mm -hmm. we looked at patients with an ejection fraction ejection fraction of less than 40%. Mm. So these are patients that are probably, you know, their, their left ventricular function is compromised at the start, yeah. and any poor protection is gonna compromise it even more. So if yeah. you get better protection, you will see mm. a difference. So what mm. we showed in that study, we looked at uh, cardiac index using Swan-Gantz catheters, mm -hmm. and we showed that with uh, crystalloid St. Thomas's solution, you get this characteristic stunning of the heart. Mm. So it goes down initially and then mm. recovers over a 24-hour period. Right. With blood-based St. Thomas's, you still got this depression, but it was less, and it recovered more quickly by about two hours mm. to around in, you know, the mm. normal level. Mm. So we, we uh, suggested that that showed improved myocardial protection. Yes. And so we could do the same sort of thing mm -hmm. with, with these this, studies. Yeah. But the study that we're doing at the moment is only going to be a purely safety study. Yes. Does it arrest the heart? Yeah. Does it Does do the, the heart job? restart? Mm -hmm. Are the patients okay? Yes. A lot of the things we're trying to do is avoid reperfusion injury as well. So can you tell me a bit about reperfusion injury? <laughs> Well, reperfusion injury is uh, yes, there is a there is an effect of reperfusion injury on the myocardium, and obviously, the better you protect it, the less that effect is. Mm -hmm. But reperfusion injury can be caused by a number of things. For example, free radical, yeah. uh, free radical activation, and cardioplegia won't really influence that unless mm -hmm. you have some sort of free radical scavengers or free radical inhibitors. And do you think that's what blood is doing or what the blood was doing in that study? That the blood could be doing that mm -hmm. because obviously it has um, uh, superoxide dismutase, mm -hmm. catalase mm -hmm. present in the blood mm -hmm. uh, and these can influence the, uh, the effects on free radicals. We've done some studies in the past where we've looked at adding SOD and catalase to mm -hmm. the cardioplegic solution and that improves protection. Oh, interesting. We've done other studies where we've looked at allopurinol, for example. Oh, yes. <laughs> so allopurinol is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor. Mm. Xanthine oxidase uh, produces free radicals. So if you inhibit right. the enzyme, mm -hmm. you reduce the free radical production. And they also uh, improve protection. So, but of course, these are just, you're not changing the, the concept. Mm. 
you know, my ideas about polarized arrest mm -hmm. is it's a different concept from yeah. depolarized arrest. Yeah. So you add all these, you can add these additives, you can put high energy phosphates into your mm -hmm. cardioplegia, mm -hmm. and in theory they might have a, mm -hmm. an effect on, on the, you know, the high energy phosphate levels in the myocardium, mm -hmm. and they have been shown to be protective. And that would be because they're, they're repleting, or they're yeah. replacing, is probably the better yeah. word, the ones that may have been depleted uh, during the period of plegia. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the other thing about reperfusion injury is that you can, in theory, uh, protect against it by using a hot shot. Yes. Because <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you keep the heart arrested, but you reperfuse with blood mm -hmm. containing uh, cardioplegic, agents mm -hmm. then you allow the heart that chance to mm. to regenerate if you mm. like or recover from the ischemic effects mm. uh, so you can wash out the, the while it's not having to work mm -hmm. yeah. so you know Buckberg showed in the in the in the 80s and 90s that re, uh, hot shot reperfusion is beneficial yeah and you have to give it sort of 20 minutes of, of cardioplegic reperfusion well is it possible to go through um uh, the calcium paradox and what happens with calcium at this uh, stage of things so <laughs> calcium paradox mm -hmm. is uh, a very devastating uh, um, effect whereby if you infuse a solution into the heart that has zero calcium it will stop the heart mm -hmm. But then when you reperfuse with solution that has calcium in it, the heart will take up mm. huge amounts of calcium and essentially blow itself apart. Oof. So, you know, everything, all the mitochondria absorb, yeah. take up calcium, and you end up with ultra-structural changes that, that are basically devastating mm. to the heart. So, for example, with Brechner solution, mm -hmm. it has almost zero calcium, mm. but it also has very low sodium levels, mm. so that protects it from the calcium paradox. There was a guy who worked here many years ago, Per Yinga, mm -hmm. from um, Tromso, mm -hmm. and he did a lot of work in looking at the effects of different calcium and sodium concentrations, mm. because we were quite interested in... Mm why does Brechtschneider solution work like yeah. it does? And why doesn't it do that? Yeah, why doesn't yeah, it, do that? Yeah. it does have it does have some calcium in, mm. it doesn't have zero calcium. Yeah. And it probably has just enough calcium to prevent the oh. calcium paradox. Oh I see. So it maybe but is it's slightly, very, very low yeah. concentration. Um now there's a condition called stone heart, which is something that I have to say a Fortunately, I've only heard of, um, and I hope that's the way it stays. Now, is that a feature of the calcium paradox, or is that something slightly different? That's something slightly different. So in the uh, 60s and 70s, mm. when uh, cardioplegia wasn't used, and the hearts were just protected by hypothermic ischemia, or mm -hmm. even normothermic ischemia, mm -hmm. uh, and people worked as fast as they could, mm. sometimes the heart went into contracture, mm. and that ischemic contracture and that's what was called the stone heart right the heart goes into sort of a, a rigor like state right and it just goes solid mm. and once that happened there's, you, there's nothing you can do yeah absolutely nothing you can do only say so rigor like rigor mortis sort yes, of situation exactly yeah mm. so you need to you, you know you, you just have to and that's 
that's what cardioplegia will do it it yeah. won't it, because it's di a diastolic arrest mm -hmm. you don't get this contracture occurring yeah. and so you hopefully yeah. don't get stone heart yes so in i think i'm not sure when it was what published but cats produced a paper mm. as a challenge to biochemists mm. to prevent the stone heart mm. and that was when uh so at that time mr brainbridge who was the mm. senior surgeon here mm -hmm. so that's when he uh set up david hearse in the labs up here mm -hmm. and david hearse and him developed the original St Thomas's Hospital solution, mm -hmm. basically as a way of preventing the stone heart, because yeah. if you arrest the heart in a diastolic manner, you won't get ischemic contracture. Mm. But also to give, to buy Mr. Brainbridge some time mm. in his, um, during his surgery. Mm. So I think, basically, you haven't seen it because everyone uses cardioplegia, and cardioplegia shouldn't mm. allow ischemic contracture to occur. That's also a very important point that all the arrest strategies, whether it's hyperpolarization, polarization, depolarized arrest, all of them are in diastole. Yes. There's no such thing as systolic cardioplegia because no. that would be a very high energy uh, uh, situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Got any thoughts on the additives? So we were talking about the, maybe the benefits of adding stuff into cardioplegia circulation. So we've, we've talked about, I, think, I suppose with your, the Esmolol solution that you've just talked about, it's, it's really the kind of, sim, I want to say symbiotic, but maybe that's not the right word to use, but the kind of, the, you've got several different targets that you're, you're doing with, with several different components of the solution. Are there any other components or additives that you add into solutions which do something different or don't? Well, like I said, you could, you could add in something mm. to uh, limit or inhibit mm. uh, free radical mm -hmm. release. Uh, I always thought that allopurinol was a good, mm. uh, if, if I was going to use a potassium-based mm. cardioplegia, I wouldn't mind having some allopurinol mm -hmm. in there because it mm -hmm. seems to work yeah. quite effectively. Uh, not so sure about um, free radical scavengers like SOD and catalase. Mm -hmm. uh, high-energy phosphate additives I wouldn't mm -hmm. mind, or maybe some sort of... Uh, glycolytic-based uh, compounds that uh, enhance glycolysis. Mm -hmm. it, it activates glycolytic um, ATP production, and uh, that is a very good thing for during, during ischemia. Okay, so making sure that you're still Stop. producing some high energy yeah. phosphates via a different pathway. Um, and one of the other things I've just got down here is um, temperature and whether you have any particular thoughts on temperature. Not all the additive drugs, they're not always effective at every temperature and being aware that some of them mean that you are basically pleading, I think, with more normothermic temperatures rather than hypothermic temperatures. Yes, that's true. Mm. I mean, for example, <coughs> Calcium channel blockers mm, don't yeah. seem to work as well at lower temperatures as they do at higher temperatures. Mm. Uh, so that was quite an interesting thing that mm -hmm. was shown here by one of our Japanese colleagues. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think in general, uh, hypothermia, my own opinion is mm -hmm. that hypothermia is a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Because you do, uh, if anything goes wrong, you've got, that. you've got a bit of a safety net yeah. Yeah. rather than having... Uh, doing it at uh, 37 degrees mm. or close to 37 degrees where 
you, you have less time to mm. um, correct yeah. any problems. I think that's a general, uh, yeah. Dis- yeah, so it's something I've heard many people say. So yeah. our new solution will be done at hypothermia. Yeah. We've shown basically mm-hmm. that it's effective at hypothermia. In mm-hmm. fact, it's it, hypothermia will probably extend the half-life of the esmolol. Oh, interesting. In that uh, mm-hmm. it won't be broken down so quickly. Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, so, so that's a benefit. Very interesting. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me on the SCTS Education Podcast. Very much appreciated um, all your time and it's been very, very useful. Okay, it's my yeah, pleasure. So. so thanks again to Dr. David Chambers for doing this podcast. It's been really interesting. Um, just for anybody who's interested in some further reading, um, he has edited a book uh, called New Solutions for the Heart, which I found very useful actually when I was looking up a little bit more detail about cardioplegia. And as I mentioned previously, um, there are lots of publications out there um, to give a bit more detail about the subject. So thank you very much for listening. And um, please uh, let me know how you find this episode. You can always email me at sctseducationpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks very much for listening. <laughs>